Hello and welcome to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Baum. I'm here to share techniques and tools to help you engage with your audience and bring art, objects and ideas to life. So let's dive into this week's show. Hello and welcome back to the Art Engager podcast. I'm your host, Claire Bowne of Thinking Museum, and this is episode 48. So first of all, thanks for bearing with me whilst I recovered from COVID. I'm back with a new episode today, all about my favourite subject, that's questions. And specifically, I'm going to be talking about the type of questions you should avoid. But before that, don't forget last week I was talking perspective taking in our Throwback Thursday episode from the back catalogue. So I shared what perspective taking is, why it's important and four thinking routines that you can use with art and objects for fostering perspective taking. So do go back and have a listen to episode 47 if you haven't yet. And before that as well, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by treating me to a cup of tea on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Claire Bown. I'll put a link in the show notes. Thanks to everyone for all the support. And all the links, as always, they're in the show notes. And you can find these every week on my website, thinkingmuseum.com forward slash podcast. This is episode 48. So now let's get on with today's show. So we've talked about questions in the past in several different episodes and you know it's a subject I like returning to time and time again because it's so important for what we do as facilitators, educators, guides and creatives. Questioning is the skill to master if you want to lead engaging and interactive programs and it's a skill that you need to actively work at to improve as well. You can't just listen to this podcast and everything will be fine. No, sadly, you need to go and practice, practice formulating questions, making a note of what works and what doesn't and reframing and reformulating where necessary. You need to be able to try things out, to experiment, to innovate, to keep things fresh. And whilst you're doing all of this, you also need to avoid some of these question types that I'm going to bring up today. Now, as some of you may know, I've recently been studying for a coaching certification and it's made me even more aware of how important questions are, as if that was even possible. And I thought it would be handy just to reiterate today the type of questions we really want to avoid on our tours and educational programs. So here we go. Here's number one. And the first type of question to avoid are casual questions. So I've stated in the past that a good question is many things. It's clear, it's simple, it's purposeful, it's also relevant, concise and powerful. Now, some questions are just too casual. These are the type of questions that don't really seem to have any focus or seem to be going anywhere. These are the sort of questions 
that you might want to answer with a shrug of your shoulders if you were being flippant. So I'm thinking about questions like, so what's this painting all about then? It's just not specific enough. And if you apply this to an abstract painting, I don't think you'd get very far apart from a few puzzled looks. It's worth thinking about how you could be more focused and less vague. So casual questions are those that are perhaps unclear or uncertain. They might be out of context or perhaps they're too broad or just not specific enough. So an alternative to what's this painting all about then might be what do you think the story is here? Or even more specific, what do you think the story is between figure A and figure B? Or what's happening in this particular section? And then you're narrowing down the scope. You may even want to share a piece of information about the artwork or object and that will place it in context and then ask what's going on here. So if you have asked a casual question by mistake, do follow it up with a more specific one. So number two, the second type of question you want to avoid are rote questions. So if you find yourself always asking the same questions, this may be a sign that you're getting a bit staid or perhaps even a bit lazy in your questioning. So we all have questions that are favourites that we ask time and time again, but you don't want questioning to be a routine process. You actually want it to be fueled by curiosity and not just your groups, your curiosity as well. So make a conscious effort to switch it up a bit if you find yourself asking the same old questions time and time again. So think about different questions that you can ask your participants as well as different ways to ask them. The type of questions you could ask should capture their attention, should spark their curiosity and foster an active learning environment. You can prepare some new questions in advance and then try them out with a variety of groups to see what happens. Okay, number three, stacked questions. So this is when you ask several questions at once. You may think you've only asked one question, but you haven't and your group are confused. Maybe you've even asked the same questions many times in lots of different ways. But you'll get a variety of responses with stacked questions. First of all, you'll get tumbleweed. No one will say anything. Secondly, you might get answers to the last question you asked, so people will only remember the last question and they'll answer that one. Or three, you'll get answers to questions that people find the easiest or they like the most or the one they feel most comfortable with. So when you're asking stacked questions, you're assuming that your participants are hanging on your every word and they will answer all the questions. But expecting someone or all of your group to track, process and respond to all of your questions is unrealistic. So if you do get a response, it's actually just someone trying to do their best. 
So whatever you're doing, stop. With stacked questions, you're thinking out loud. You really need to think before you speak. And do your thinking silently and then ask your question. It's okay to pause while you formulate, but keep it clear and simple, one question at a time. It's okay to be brief. Okay, number four, leading questions. So leading questions are ones that perhaps subtly or not so subtly prompt or suggest an answer. More often than not, it's the answer that you want to hear rather than a genuine answer. So these type of questions can actually include the answer or point someone in the right direction. They can also have some kind of carrot or stick to send the listener to the right answer. Now, you have thought of the outcome that you want from this discussion, and this is how you're going to lead your participants there. So leading questions can be intentional or quite unintentional, and quite often facilitators are unaware they're doing it. And I hear them quite often when people are starting to lead discussions about art or objects and perhaps they're transitioning or changing from a more traditional lecturing way of working to a more inquiry-based, discussion-based one. And asking leading questions is often due to a desire to want to control things, to want to control what is happening. And as I said, it's often quite unconscious. These people don't realise they're doing it. But your participants don't like to feel hemmed in with leading questions. So do watch out for them, as you may not even know you're actually asking them. It's important to first recognise what they are, and then when or if you're using them. And just so you know, you can also lead people by your body language and your voice emphasis too. So you could place emphasis on certain words and that would be leading people in a certain direction. So think about how you want to use questioning in your discussions. You want it to open up conversations and discussion. You don't want it to lead someone down a very narrow prescribed path. You want to get your participants to think in new ways. Now, we've used this example before, but it serves a good purpose here too. If you ask something like, how would you describe this painting? Depressing? This is a leading question. It's a very obvious leading question. But if you have made this mistake, you can quickly correct it by adding some extra options, a list of other words. This will still make it slightly leading, as you're not giving the participant free reign to come up with their own ideas, but it does open up the options somewhat. So leading questions don't give you any insights into what people are thinking. You won't get the kind of responses that will surprise you or intrigue you or even make you think of something in a different way. The answers from leading questions will just be a version of what you said in the original question. So be very wary of using leading questions. 
watch out for any biases that creep in. And the next time you do ask a leading question, because it will happen, notice what effect it has on the group and what responses they give. Make a mental note to yourself to rephrase your question as an open-ended one that invites a variety of responses. So moving on to number five, the fifth type of question to avoid are judgmental questions. So these are questions that imply judgment. Sometimes it can be a statement rather than a question itself, but your tone implies in judgment. So something like, why do you think that, can often be seen as judgmental. And as I've mentioned before, why questions in general that are directed at a person can be problematic. Some questions as well put people on the spot and they make them clam up. So you don't want to ask people to justify or defend their position or what they've just said. You don't want that. You want to encourage conversation. So instead, you may ask for evidence. You may say, what do you see that makes you say that? And this is a much better alternative to why do you say that? Why do you say that could be interpreted as being loaded with judgment. So on the whole, you're aiming for open-ended, non-judgmental questions that open up conversation and make people feel comfortable. When in doubt, ask the question with what, not why. Less judgment, more curiosity. Okay, number six, binary questions. So these are your closed questions that have a yes or a no or an either or answer. And binary questions narrow the available responses to two, normally yes or no or one thing or another. They're useful in your introduction, go back to episode 44, all about your introduction, and for checking in with your group throughout, but not for opening up conversation. So try to use questions instead with a what or a how and avoid binary questions. Okay, number seven, jargon questions. So jargon, jargon is a word or a phrase that's difficult to understand or something that's not widely used by the general population. And the worst part about jargon is that you may not even realize that you're using it or asking questions involving jargon. It's just become so much a part of how you talk, you assume your participants know the terms too. Now, every field has their own jargon and language that they use. And everyone who has expertise in an area or is used to the common language of that field gets used to that language. Then, when you're trying to ask a question to someone who may or may not be knowledgeable about these things, we have to stop and realise that we need to use the most plain language possible. And the reason for this is that so, so that the most number of people can understand it. So don't make any assumptions about prior knowledge of any terms that you use regularly. Jargon is a gatekeeper and it can prevent people from participating. So avoid acronyms, technical terms and archaic language. 
And if you must use jargon or an uncommon concept, provide definitions to simplify them. Okay, moving on to number eight. Any questions type of questions? I had to include this one. I hear it so often. Asking any questions and other questions like this, for example, do you understand, are often met with silence. This is because your participants think that you're doing this as a kind of ritual rather than asking a question with genuine curiosity. So they don't see these questions as genuine. They don't see them as questions that have a clear purpose. So they only think you're asking this just because it's something you ask. So never ask any questions. And if you have to use it, only use it if you're genuinely interested in the responses and you have a clear purpose. And I would limit it to just once or twice at the very most. If you must ask any questions and you are met with silence, then use a follow-up question that will probe further. Don't just use it for the sake of being interactive. It won't work. Okay, number nine, we have tugging and guessing questions. So I've paired these two together. And these are also types of questions that I've heard frequently on tours and educational programs in the museum and elsewhere. A guessing question is something like, how long do you think it took man to invent the wheel? These are questions that encourage guessing or speculation rather than thought. Something like, Perhaps, how long do you think man has been on earth? They can sometimes be useful in generating discussions, but on the whole, and if used inappropriately, they just encourage random guessing rather than thinking carefully about something. Now, a tugging question would be tugging relentlessly for an answer. So I've heard people nag for answers. Come on, you know this. Someone knows the answer. You've done this at school. I've also heard things like, what else? Tell me more, repeated over and over again until the participants get to the point that they feel uncomfortable or frustrated. So really, it's better to follow up with a specific second question rather than nagging people to provide more. So, for example, if your initial question was, why do you think Van Gogh moved to Paris? And someone responds to be near his brother. And perhaps you wanted to focus more on him being around and being influenced by other artists. You could then follow up with more information about the fact that his brother was there at that time. And his brother was incidentally connected to a large community of artists in the city, including Monet and lots of others. Then your follow-up question might be, what do you think it was like for Van Gogh to be in a new city like Paris and surrounded by all these artists? Now, if you would just ask for another response initially, if you'd ask for other reasons, any thoughts, anyone, anyone, you might not get there naturally enough. So think about how you could follow up with a more focused second question rather than tugging and nagging for an answer. 
And the last type of question to avoid is our retrieval type of questions. So this is when you're asking for recall of information. Perhaps you've already covered it in the program, earlier in the tour, or perhaps it's information that you think your group should already know. Now, these questions don't encourage collaborative thinking. These questions only encourage the person who knows to speak. Those who don't know or who can't answer don't feel great. And if no one knows, well, then you're listening to Tumbleweed again. So if you've only got an hour together on your program, you don't want to waste it on questions that don't get the group collaborating and discovering together. These types of retrieval questions may work in the classroom, but testing your group's memory or knowledge on a tour or program in the museum won't bring any benefits. It's really asking a question for the sake of asking a question. So there we have it. 10 types of questions to avoid or at least to be wary of. It's good to remember that great questions are clear, concise, relevant, purposeful and thoughtful and even better if those questions are sequenced and adapted to the level of the group. So now you know what type of questions to avoid in your programs. If you're interested in learning more about questions, go back and listen to some of the other episodes. Episode 4, 10, 15 and 36 on this subject. I told you it was a favourite of mine. And don't forget our new Facebook group, The Slow Looking Club. It's a great place for conversation and discussion about engaging with art, objects, and life slowly. I put a link to the Slow Looking Club under groups in Facebook. I put a link in the show notes too. Thanks for listening today. That's it for this week. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Bowne. You can find more art engagement resources by visiting my website, thinkingmuseum.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, at Thinking Museum, where I regularly share tips and tools on how to bring art to life and engage your audience. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share with others and subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.